I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined the government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say, it is to wage war by sea, land, and air, with all our might, and with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny, never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. The Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. Let us, therefore, brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. Words are powerful. So much so, in fact, I want to stop for a second right now, and I want to ask you to share this message. So copy the link and, and text it to a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker. Hit the share button. We have seen over the last few months hundreds and hundreds of people be invited to Southside Church Online, and the results have been incredible. We've seen people walk into our virtual church who never would have considered walking into a real church. We've seen people from all over the world who never would have been able to make their way to our church building, attend Southside Church, and we've seen their inspiration grow. We've seen their hope rise. We've seen their determination deepen. So man, I would love it if you could do that right now. You know, it's interesting to me because we've always said something at Southside that you don't have to believe to belong, and I, I really, really believe that. You don't have to believe to belong. You don't need to believe in Jesus. I do. I believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. Changed everything in my life, changed everything in history. I, I believe that he loves you. I believe that he has an incredible plan for your life, but you don't need to believe that to belong here. In fact, I'll suggest to you that today as I speak, I'm gonna share some principles based on the wisdom and the teachings of Jesus, but 
even if you don't believe in Jesus, if you apply his wisdom, his teaching to your life, you're going to see yourself start to live the life that you were actually created to live. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you apply some of the truth that I talk about today, even without believing in Jesus, it's going to be a proof and it's going to start moving you towards asking more questions, which is incredible. So words have power. You know, every once in a while, someone will come to you and say, a picture is worth, worth a thousand words. And I think there's some truth in that, actually. Like, pictures are really, really powerful. But I was listening to that speech by Winston Churchill just a couple minutes ago, and I thought to myself, man, you'd be hard-pressed to convey that power <laughs> with a thousand pictures. Historians will tell you that the inspiration, the speeches, and the words of Winston Churchill were actually instrumental in the defeat of Nazi Germany led by Adolf Hitler in World War II. See, back in 1938, uh, Nazi Germany absorbed, annexed Austria. And then they took the Sudetenland of Czechoslovakia. In 1939, Hitler moved in and took the rest of Czechoslovakia. He signed alliances with Mussolini's Italy and Stalin's Soviet Union. And in September the 1st of 1939, Hitler invaded Poland. On September 3rd, Great Britain declared war, and World War II began. And Hitler unleashed on the world Blitzkrieg, a brand new form of war, the complete opposite of the trench warfare that defined World War I. Blitzkrieg was high-speed infantry supported by mobilized artillery and aircraft meant to punch holes in the enemy lines, outspeed them, outflank them, outmaneuver them, encircle them before they had a chance to adjust and defeat them. And that's exactly what Hitler did through 1939 and 1940. Denmark and Norway fell, Belgium, Holland, and eventually France. Until by June of 1940, for all intents and purposes, this little island, Great Britain, just off the coast of Europe, stood alone against Hitler. And yet alone they stood. Hard-pressed on every side, but not defeated. Outgunned, outmanned, but unbroken. They stood. Alone they stood. Day after day, week after week, month after month, until slowly, ever so slowly, the tide of the war turned. And Hitler was defeated. And the quest for freedom continued. I'm not call a timeout for a second, because I, I want you to imagine, just for a moment, what it must have been like living back during those days. There was a lot of people, in fact, who thought the world was ending. All the chaos and all the fear. See, back in 1919, World War I had ended, and you know what people called World War I? They called it the war to end all wars. And here we were in 1939, and war broke out again. And there were people who were certain that the world was coming to an end, and I would suggest that there's a lot of people out there right now that are wondering, is this the end of the world here in June of 2020? 2020 hasn't really gone according to schedule. Would you agree? Like, I remember a few months ago only making jokes about 2020, you know, like an optical term, 2020 vision, and I said, I got a vision for 2020. Well, I did, and you know, my vision for 2020, it wasn't this. I bet you your vision for 2020 wasn't this either. It's not really playing out according to our plans. And there's a lot of people wondering, like, is this it? Like, all this 
sickness and virus and hatred and racism and chaos. Is this it? Is this the end of the world? I would say I don't think so. I don't think it is. I think we got a lot more gospel to preach. I think we got a lot more people to love. I think we got a lot more kindness that we need to extend. I don't think it's the end of the world, but if you're wondering whether it is, I got three thoughts for you real quick. Number one, why don't you live as if it is the end of the world? Why don't you live as if it is the end of the world? Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, God, teach us to number our days that we might live with a heart of wisdom. Why don't we number our days? So so what I mean by that is if you're waiting to extend kindness to someone, why don't you do that today? If you're waiting to step out in generosity, why don't you step out today? If if you're waiting to forgive somebody, why don't you forgive them today? If, If you're waiting to apologize to somebody, why don't you apologize to them today? If you're waiting to step up, like if there's something that you know that you need to do, but you're scared, it's challenging, why don't you step up? Why don't you take that risk today? Why don't you live as if it is the end of the world? And secondly, I want to suggest to you that when you look around the world today and you think something's wrong, I would say you're right. Something is wrong. When you look at viruses and pandemics and racism and violence and hatred, that's wrong. And there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me that knows that. The Bible says that God has placed eternity in everyone's heart. There's a part of it that says this, there's got to be more to life than this. And that part of you that says that this is wrong is right. It is wrong. You were built for something better. I guess what I'm saying is that this world will wear out one day, but you will never wear out. You were meant to live eternally. And when your time is up or when the world's time is up, God is going to usher in a new age, a new heavens and a new earth. No more viruses, no more pandemics, no more violence, no more racism, no more hatred. I've heard uh, eternity and heaven described this way, that when we get there, we're going to realize that we spend our whole lives homesick for a place that we've never been. I love that. So I would suggest to you, this. Why don't we live in light of eternity? Why don't we live as people whose hope isn't just um, contained to this world, that our hope goes so much higher? And thirdly, I would say this, be ready to give an answer for people who want to know why you have the hope that you do. Give ready to give them an answer. Get ready to give them an answer. When people look at you and they see your courage, and they see your kindness, and they see your love, and they see your patience, and they see your hope, and they wonder why? Tell them about Jesus. You notice how I didn't say, argue with them about Jesus. I just said, tell them about Jesus. Tell them your story. Tell tell them about how when you met Jesus, he changed everything for you. And tell them that Jesus loves them too, and that he can change their lives, their past, their present, their future, and their eternity also. Okay, so we're back on this little island called Great Britain, just off the coast of Europe. And they're overmatched and they're outmanned, but they're unbroken. They stand alone, but still they stand week after week and month after month until the tide turns. And 
one of the reasons, one of the major reasons for the resilience and the determination of the British people during World War II was their beloved Prime Minister, Winston Churchill. Years later, John F. Kennedy, a former American president, said this. He said, Winston Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. Don't you love that? Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. You should write that down. If you're someone who takes notes, you should write that down because here's what I want you to know. Every time you speak, every single time you speak, you mobilize your words and you send them into battle. You say, well, the battle for what? Oh, it's the same battle that Churchill fought. It's just a battle for life and death. Proverbs 18 says it this way. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. See, I think we all know that. I think there's something inside of us. We understand that we can speak words of life or we can speak words of death. We can speak words that build up or we can speak words that tear down. I, I think we all get that. Like when I tell you that every time you speak, you mobilize your words and send them into battle, I think we know that. But here's the thing about you and me. We have this tendency to know that something is true, but not live like we know it's true. Like when, when, when I tell you that every time you speak, you mobilize your words and send them into battle, I think you would agree and you would nod and, 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 and you would know that to be true. But often we don't live that way. We don't speak that way. We speak carelessly. And what I was going to say at this point is I was going to say, we say whatever we want to whoever we want, but that's not true. That's not actually true. We say whatever we want to whoever it is that we can get away with saying whatever we want to. And that is heartbreaking. That's a tragedy. Because what does that really mean? That means that we speak the most carelessly to the people who love us the most unconditionally. That the people in our lives that are closest to us, that need our encouragement and need our hope the most, are maybe the people who get it the least. It's weird because when I'm getting ready to come up here and, and speak, man, I put a lot of prep into it. I pray and I study and I write and I pray and I study and I rewrite and, and, and I pray and I pray and I ask God, please take my words, mobilize them, and send them into battle for every person who's listening. Bring them hope, bring them life, bring them victory. Man, I, I wonder if we could take that kind of care with the words that we speak day to day with the people who are around us. It's, it's sort of funny because when I really get into sermon prep mode, I do have a tendency to kind of overthink my words sometimes. Like I'll be walking through the gym and someone will say to me, hey Mike, how are you? And I'll, and I'll think to myself, how should I answer that? Like should I say really good because that seems kind of, I don't know, like glib and cocky. Should I say not too bad? That sounds kind of glasses half empty. Should I say, if I was any better, I would be twins. That seems nerdy or... or this much fun should be illegal. That's weird and kind of creepy, okay? And so by the time I realize that maybe the best answer is good you, the person that I'm speaking to has walked away and, and they've gone on with their life. And so I'm not suggesting that we overthink every single thing we say, but what if we just did this? What if we woke up every day 
and told ourselves that when we speak to the people around us today, that we're going to be mobilizing our words and sending them into battle. And that battle could either be a battle for life or a battle for death. Proverbs 11 says this, your own soul is nourished when you are kind, but you destroy yourself when you are cruel. Did you hear that? So, so I, want, I want you to understand this for a second. When you speak, your words go from you and your words are for you. Okay, the, 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 those words you speak come from you, but they also come for you. So make them good. See, we've been talking a lot in this New Testament book of Jude about the spiritual battle we're in. Spiritually speaking, the words you speak, they come from you and they come for you. Jesus said it this way, a good person produces good deeds and words, season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Words come from you, and words come for you. You speak destruction, destruction comes from you, destruction comes for you. You speak, you speak condemnation, condemnation comes from you, condemnation comes for you. I heard this the other day. Words are seeds that do more than blow around. They land in, your, in our hearts and not the ground. Be careful what you plant and be careful what you say. You might have to eat what you planted one day. So in light of that, in, 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 in light of the fact that Every time we speak, we mobilize our words and send them into battle. In light of the fact that words come from us and words come for us, I want to suggest that we battle for three things with our words. I want to get really practical. I want to suggest that we battle for three things with our words, okay? I, I think we should battle for greatness, for generosity, and for gratitude. Three Gs. I think we should battle for greatness, for generosity, and for gratitude. Battling for greatness. This is what... Churchill said on his 80th birthday, listen to this. I am glad my speeches in the war express the will not only of parliament, but of the whole nation. Their will was resolute and remorseless, and as it proved, unconquerable. It fell to me to express it, and I found the right words. You must remember that I have always earned my living by my pen and by my tongue. It was the nation and race dwelling all around the globe that had the lion's heart. I had the luck to be called upon to give the roar. It was the nation that had the lion heart. I had the luck to be called upon to give the roar. I love that. Speak greatness. Speak words of greatness. Because when you speak words of greatness, greatness comes from you and greatness comes for you. What I mean is look around at the people in your life Find the lion's heart and call out their roar. Find the heart of the lion and call out their roar. There's greatness in everyone. I heard a quote the other day. Someone said, it's pretty funny. They said, the problem with the world today is that intelligent people have too much doubt and stupid people have too much confidence. 
It, it, it's funny, but it misses the mark a little bit because there's no such thing as a stupid person. There's no such thing as a waste. There's greatness in everyone. You just got to look for it. And what I want to say to you is when you, when you call out greatness in people, the people in your life, the people that God has placed in your life, look at them. Find the lion and call out the roar. People close to me will tell you I'm a pretty hard guy to encourage. And I think one of the reasons for that is um, if you encourage me about something that just happened, I'm kind of already looking at what's going to happen next. And I don't take a lot of time looking back. I should probably do a better job of that. But just this week, I got one of the most encouraging notes that I've ever got in my life. Someone dropped it off in the mail slot at the hangar. It was real simple. I just wrote a little note. It said, a couple weeks ago, Mike, you challenged us that we needed to live large instead of settling for small. And then we needed to ask ourselves, man, if, if I knew that I could not fail, what would I try? So I just wanted you to know I'm going back to school. I'm going to get my PhD in psychology so I can help more people. That encourages me. And like, what if, what if we looked around at the people in our lives? Find the lion and call out their roar. And when you do that, listen, when you speak greatness, greatness comes from you and greatness comes for you. Secondly, speak generosity. I would just define that two ways. Give people your attention and give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people attention. There's a conversation that I overheard years and years ago. I think about it all the time. It was one of the most amazing things that I had ever seen. Two people talking. I was waiting in line, so I saw the whole thing play out for about 45 minutes. Two people talking for 45 minutes without ever once acknowledging one thing that the other person said or cha changing what they were going to say based on anything the other person said. So, so it kind of went like this. Talk, 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 take a breath. Talk, 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 take a breath. Talk, like not once was there any acknowledgement. It was like watching a tennis match. It was incredible. And I was thinking to myself, isn't that a little bit like our world is today? Like everybody's talking and so few people are listening. Give people your attention. Ask them some questions. Not, not because it's some slick way to go, hey, hey, you want to know how to make people think you're actually listening? Ask a question. No, no. Ask questions because you actually are listening, because you actually are fascinated with who they are and, and what they're walking through. And I noticed over the last few weeks, there's been a couple times, all these Zoom calls and these FaceTime calls that we do. And someone's been talking, and as they're talking, I stop listening after a while, and I start to think of something really funny that I want to say when they're done. You know? And, and so they keep talking. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. I got this funny joke. And then they finally stop, and I go and I say it, and guess what? It's not even funny. And not only that, I missed learning from whatever that person was saying because I was sitting there so worried about what I was going to say. Give people your attention and give them the benefit of the doubt. You know this. You know this. Every single person you ever lock eyes with was created by God, is loved by Jesus fully, completely, unconditionally. So when you're talking to that person and they look different than you look, and they sound different than you sound, and they believe different than you believe, 
and they act different than you act, you know what you should do? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Seek first to understand them rather than be understood by them. Another way of saying that is speak kindly. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Speak kindly. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. When we speak, we mobilize our words and we send them into battle. So we speak greatness. And, and, and when greatness comes from us, greatness comes for us. We speak generosity. When generosity comes from us, generosity comes for us. And finally, we speak gratitude. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the Apostle Paul said, be thankful in all circumstances. G.K. Chesterton said this, listen. When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Let me put it this way. Where does a shark swim in the ocean? Where does an eagle soar in the sky? Where does a bighorn sheep climb in the mountain? Where do you live in gratitude? Where do you soar? Where do you climb? in gratitude, in a place called grateful. That's where you were born to live. A couple years ago, I had a friend of mine say something that I just think is so profound. He said, man, if there's something in your life that should be easy, but it's actually hard, that's a sign of a spiritual battle. I, I think that every time you and me are just about ready to step out and speak words of gratitude, something inside of us is gonna resist. Because God has a plan for you. Your natural habitat is grateful. That's where you were born to live. Back when I was a young guy, between about the ages of 14 and 19 years old, I made some bad choices. And what I mean by that is I was completely and totally off the rails. Completely. I did things that I never should have done. I went places I never should have gone. I spent time with people I never should have spent time with. I ingested things that I never should have ingested. And I remember near the end of this spiral, kind of my rock bottom time, waking up one morning. And when I woke up, I kind of realized three things. Number one, I realized that I was in jail. And I had absolutely no idea how I got there, none. Which is a weird feeling, by the way. The second thing I realized right away was um, that I had thrown up all over myself the night before. Like all over myself, and it had dried overnight, and so I, I, I happened to be clutching this felt blanket to my face. And the vomit had stuck the felt blanket onto my face, and so when I peeled it off, I had a felt blanket beard. And the third thing I realized was that the reason I woke up was because there was a police officer standing at the door to the prison cell, banging his nightstick, making a noise and saying, wakey, wakey, sleeping beauty, your mummy is here to get you. Which is bad news for me, because in the midst of all my out of control living, uh, I never wanted my mom and dad to know. I always tried to hide it. 
He says, well, your mom's here to pick you up. And I remember walking to the front and on the way, he was laughing. He said, man, when you got here last night, all you kept saying was, please don't tell my mom. Please don't tell my mom. Please don't tell my mom. And I get out there and there's my mom. And that's a moment. So we get in the car and we're not really talking. What are you supposed to say? And after a little while, my mom looks over at me and she says, you know what? you look like you could use some new clothes. So we went home and I showered and she took me to the mall and she bought me some new clothes and you say, that's terrible parenting. Maybe that's what you think. Let me tell you something. At that moment, I felt more unlovable than I had ever felt. I felt less worthy than I had ever felt. I felt like more of a lost cause than I ever felt. And when she said that to me, you know what it was? It was amazing grace. It was unwarranted favor. It was unconditional love. And it actually changed my life a little bit. And get this, get this, get this. I said thank you to my mom about a month ago. That's interesting. See, here's where you were born to live, like really live, in a place called Grateful. But, but, it, but every time there's a moment that you should step out and be grateful, there's going to be resistance. And I would suggest to you today, break through it. You have everything you need to break through. When you speak, you mobilize your words and you send them into battle. So battle for greatness. Look at the people around you. Find the lion's heart and call out their roar. Man, battle for generosity. Give people your attention. Give them the benefit of the doubt. And finally battle for gratitude. You know where you were born to soar? You know where you were born to climb? You know where you were born to live? In a place called gratitude. In a state called gratitude. And as I close today, I just want to give you one more thing to think about. Because what I believe is I believe that there's some people, it's great for me to stand, out here, stand up here and say, man, call out the greatness in other people, but you don't see any in yourself. So I want to talk about something. I want to talk about you just for a second. I want to tell you that you were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, by a God who does not make mistakes. And you are so loved. And you are so valuable. And I want to talk about greatness, because there's greatness in you. And I want to talk about generosity. You want to hear a story about generosity? John 3.16 says this, For God so loved you, loved the world, which includes you, that he gave his son that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history. He lived, died, he rose again for you. That's generosity. And when Jesus died on that cross, he did it so that you could get past your past. You don't have to carry the baggage of your past around with you anymore. And when he rose again, it means that you have strength for today. And hope for tomorrow to become the person that you were created to be, to make the difference you were created to make, to live the life that you were created to make, and and eternal security, knowing that when your time on earth is up, you're not done. It's just the beginning. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about gratitude. Because what I want to suggest to you is that when you take that moment to accept the free gift that Jesus purchased through his death and his resurrection, you can spend the rest of your life, you can spend the rest of your eternity grateful. So I just want to give you that chance right now. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now, wherever you are. 
all over the world. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that your word is hope. That your word is salvation. That your word is forgiveness. That your word is redemption. Thank you. Thank you that you died on the cross. I ask you to be my savior. Please forgive my sins. And thank you that you rose again. I pray for the strength to be everything that you created in me to be. Change me one step at a time. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Man, if you just prayed that prayer, I would love it if you could text the keyword LIFE to 604-670-3040. Or you could go on to SouthsideLife.com and go to the uh, dialogue box, the text box on the bottom called Southside Together. Or you could just put it right in the chat. LIFE, 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 LIFE. We don't want to stalk you, but we really do want to support you. And lastly, for all of us, whether you've been attending Southside Church your whole life or whether this is your first week, remember this, remember this, remember this. Every time you speak, you mobilize your words and you send them into battle. Let's battle well.